Lord, that is our desire this evening, to join with your creation, to sing your praise. Lord, to lift your name high. You alone are worthy of our praise. Lord, we thank you for this amazing relationship that you draw us into. And Lord, every one of us is eternally grateful that this relationship is not based on our faithfulness to you, but your faithfulness. Lord, that we can always count on you. Lord, we thank you for this time tonight, in the middle of our week. Lord, we ask that, that this, this worship would be pleasing to you as it comes from, from hands and hearts that have been cleansed by you. And Lord, we just gather here tonight. We want to hear from you. We need, we need encouragement in our week, and we find that in your word. And, and so, Lord, we ask that as we open it right now, and we recognize that your word is alive and active. Lord, we, we give you permission. You do as you would with us tonight. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good evening. Some kind of crazy storms blowing through surprise, huh? Yesterday was, wow. <laughs> Monsoon season. That does mean that we're in the second half of the heat, though, right? By the way, just, just, a, little, just a little bit of information, um, just because just I love you. Um, QT right now has maple bacon milkshake. <laughs> and I'm telling you, they're, they're, they're awesome. Would I lead you wrong? Well, I wouldn't. I'm, I'm telling you. I, amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. First Samuel. First Samuel. Uh, we are going to pick up our study here. We, we didn't quite finish chapter 13 last, that last week, but as a little bit of a, again, kind of a little running start here, Saul has been uh, put in as king, the first king of Israel, because uh, as, we, as we have seen and as we have studied, the, the children of Israel rejected God as their, as their absolute king and wanted to be like everybody else and have a human king over them. So God answered them and gave them what they asked for in a, in a human king. And the first king that he gave them was a king that would be after their own hearts. One of the, one of the people, somebody that, that really kind of reflects the same kind of leader that we as human beings look after all the time. And this man, Saul. All of the outward appearance and all of those things. And we're, we see, as we talked last time, God now will remove Saul eventually and replace him with a king after his own heart, and that being David. But as we've seen now in the, in the life of Saul and in his early reign, he defeated the, the Ammonite people. And after that, the, the children of Israel were excited. Their king has led them to a victory. He's been kind of brought in now officially as the leader. And as we started into chapter 13 last week, we saw that the Philistines were in the area, and the Philistines are, are going to be a part of the story here for a little while. They, they come into the area of Israel, they, they, they have a, a little bit bigger presence, and Jonathan, one of Saul's sons, goes out and, and beats up on a garrison of the Philistines, and that makes the Philistines pretty upset. So they bring a very large army back in, and it, and it outlines it for us at the in the, towards the middle of chapter 13, that there were 
thousands of chariots and horses and, and this amazing army now that the Philistines come and it says that they, were, they couldn't even be numbered. There were so many of them. And this caused great panic and fear in the children of Israel, the warriors of Israel. And they fled. They ran away. Some even left Israel, went across the Jordan River. Uh, others were hiding in caves and, and caused massive panic amongst them. And then Saul panics when he, sees, when he sees the people leave, running away, and he sees the size of the army. He panics and he does what he cannot do as king. And that is to step into the role of priest, and he begins to offer sacrifices to God. Samuel told him to wait, and that Samuel would come on the seventh day. Well, partially part of the way through the seventh day, Saul panics, and he does it. Samuel shows up right afterwards, and that's where we left off last time. In verse, verse 13, it says, Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord will establish your, will have, would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him a ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. That's speaking again of David, and we'll, we'll be introduced to David in a couple of weeks later on in, in the book of 1 Samuel. So we pick up there now in verse 15. So then Samuel arose after this confrontation with Saul, and he went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. And we pointed out last time, Saul looks at the 600 men, and you know he's, he's kind of he's, he's kind of freaking out that there's only 600 left. But that's twice as many as Gideon had, and Gideon, in following in faith with the Lord, went and defeated the, the, the army that he had to fight. Now, Saul forgets all of that and looks at the circumstances around him and forgets the God of the circumstances. We're going to see his son Jonathan takes a very different approach as we continue and get into chapter 14. Now, Saul and his son Jonathan and the people who were present with them were staying in Geba of, Benj of, of Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. And the raiders came from the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned towards Oprah, no, Orpha. Oprah's everywhere, but she's not here, <laughs> to the land of Shuai, and another company toward Beth Haran, and another company turned toward the borders, which overlooked the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. So the Philistine, this massive army that had all come in one place to uh, intimidate Israel, and it worked. Now they're breaking out in bands and raiders, and they're going out to the neighboring towns and villages of the Israelites and raiding and taking food and supplies to feed this massive army. Now, verse 19, no blacksmith could be found in the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, otherwise the Hebrews would make swords and spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines, each to sharpen his plowshares, his mattock, his axe, and his hoe, the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for a plowshare, <laughs> mattock, the forks, and the axes to fix the hose. So before this time, when they were living in relative peace with one another, the Israelites had not, been, had, had not advanced in, in metallurgy as the Philistines had. So they would go down, and they would even have to have the Philistines sharpen their gardening instruments and the, and the things that they used around. They didn't have the swords and the weapons that the Philistines had. So it came about on the day of battle 
that neither sword nor spear was found in the hands of any people who were with Saul and Jonathan. And they were found with Saul and his son Jonathan. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. So they don't have, they are, they're outnumbered, however many. It says that they were like sand on the seashore to 602. <laughs> 600 men and, and Saul and Jonathan, so outnumbered, outgunned. I mean, they don't have, they have chariots and horses, the Philistines do, and all of these advanced weapons of the time. The Israelites have none of that. So outmanned and outgunned. And Saul panics. We're going to see John doesn't bother Jonathan at all because he looks at God. God looks at this situation and says, I got him right where I want him. I, there, I, perhaps you've heard, especially Marines in the room, maybe you heard the quote, Chesty Puller one time. He said, guys, they're, 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 the enemy is north of us. The enemy is south of us. The enemy is east of us. The enemy is west of us. They have us completely surrounded. There's no way they're getting away from us now. <laughs> We've got them right where we want them. <laughs> we know exactly where they are. And, and that's, 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 the, that's the, 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 the vision that God wants us to have, a vision of faith, not looking at our circumstances. Because if we look through the, through the eyes of uh, our visual, our physical eyes, at the circumstances around us, they are overwhelming most of the time. I mean, look at, look at around us economically, physically, relationally, all of these things, they are overwhelming. And we don't have to, you know, look, look at the world, how they are responding to all of these things. We are to look through the eyes of faith because our God is greater. Our God is greater than any of the circumstances that we face. You've, you've probably heard it said any number of ways, but, you know, God plus me equals victory, or God plus one is a majority. We, we need to understand that God is on our side. And as it says in here, if God is for us, who could be against us? So that is the, the, the way that, that Jonathan looks at this. We're going to see this great man of faith, but Saul, the leader, the king, how he cowers at this. Well, chapter 14 now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor. So one, I want to point this out right away. Jonathan is not an old man at this point at all. Jonathan's probably maybe in his late teens, right around 20 years old, and his armor bearer is a young man too. So we have these two young men. And so Jonathan says to his armor bearer, come and let us cross over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. He takes his armor bearer, Jonathan, says, we're going to go over to the garrison that's over there, this group of Philistines that's over there. And he says he didn't tell his father. I would imagine that it, that it was because of a lack of faith, certainly, that Saul had, ex had, had displayed to this point. But I think verse 2 and 3 kind of give us even more of an insight. It says, Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, and the people who were there with him were about 600 men, and Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, was wearing an ephod, and the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. In this I see that Saul, sitting under a pomegranate tree, he's content. He's okay with the situation. Now, doesn't the Bible tell us that contentment is a good thing? Yes, if it is combined with what? Godliness. Godliness and contentment is great gain. 
The problem with Saul's contentment, it was anything but godly. He was content with a standoff. The Philistines weren't advancing. They had taken already ground. They had moved into Israel, but they weren't advancing at this time. And Saul is saying, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm content with this situation. Perhaps you've heard, we're going we're gonna to be moving in this weekend to the parables. Jesus speaking parables about the kingdom. Parable is a story that, that is used to illustrate a point, but to drive it home in such a way that you remember that. You'll remember the story, and the story is only good and useful if you remember the point behind the story. And we're going to be seeing those parables. One of my favorite parables is not in the Bible. It's parable of the recruiter. The college football recruiter. Any college football fans just starting up, right? Okay, college football season. Different part of the season, of course, recruiting season. This is this earlier college football coach meets with a bunch of his a bunch of his staff his assistant coaches and they're getting ready to go out on the recruiting trail and he says to them we are looking for a very specific type of player to bring onto our team there are players out there that every time they get knocked down they stay down one of the coaches spoke up we don't want that player coach and he goes you're right we don't want that player there's other players out there that they get knocked down and they get back up. They get knocked down and they get back up. And three or four times they do that. But after three or four times they stay down. He goes, I don't want that guy either. There are still other players that every time they get knocked down, they get back up. And one of the coaches spoke up and said, that's the guy we want, coach, right? And the coach said, no. I want the guy knocking everybody down. The point is, sometimes I think in our spiritual walk, in our battle with sin in our life, is we can get content with just getting back up. We can say, all right, I've gotten to that point where it's good enough that I'm battling it and I recognize that it's there and I get back up when, when, when I fall. And I think that we, we lose in that because while the Bible does tell us that we are all susceptible to failure when it comes to that, it does not say that we necessarily have to fail. We are to be more than conquerors. And I think, again, part of the, the problem lies in the fact of how, how we approach it. We say, you know, I've had some victory in certain areas in my life. And if we get content there, we begin to lose ground to the enemy. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Verse 5, therefore... Because of this fact, he says, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Literally, make your bodies dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will become upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you once walked, one time, when you were living in them, but now you also put them all 
aside. I have that word all highlighted in my Bible. Put them all aside. He goes on, not only that list, but he says anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Put them all aside. (laughs) Do not lie to one another. Again, we can become complacent and say, you know what? That list, there's a lot of, there's, there's eight, eight or nine things in that list. I got five of them down. And we can become content in that. And we can, we can let the enemy have way more ground in our life than he should have. I see, as we look back at our, at our, our, our story today, that I believe that that's one of the reasons why Jonathan moved on without his dad. Because Saul was content at that point in his life. And if you want to be involved in God doing great things, we can never get content with sin in our life. No matter matter how we might categorize that particular sin or we might claim it as victory because every time I fall into that sin, I get back up and I'm forgiven. That's, That's the glory of being a Christian. We confess our sin. God is faithful to forgive us of our sin. Amen and amen and amen. However, we can't get complacent in that. God wants to do great things, and we need to be fully devoted to him in order to do that. I think Jonathan saw that. He says, I'm going to step out. We're going to see this act of faith that he steps out in right here. It says that we're going to go over to this garrison, just two of them. Verse 4, between the passes by which Jonathan sought to cross over to the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp crag on one side and a sharp crag on the other side, and the name of one was Bozes, and the, other na- the name of the other was Sina. So this la- these large, sharp outcroppings that were there of rock, obviously famous to the Israelites at this time, they even named them. One crag rose up to the north opposite Michmash, the other to the south opposite Geba. Then Jonathan said, to the young man who was carrying his armor. Come, let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. I love that. What a a powerful statement, again, by this young man. He understood who God is. He had seen God work, and he had heard all of the stories about how God works. He says, let us go over to these uncircumcised. They don't belong here. They don't belong in the promised land. And it says, it says perhaps the Lord will work for us. And that word for is a reason word. The Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. No doubt, Jonathan, a man who knew God's word, Looking back to Deuteronomy 28, 7, it says, The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come against you one way and will flee before you seven ways. That's God doing that work. He said, that's the God we're going to go with. No doubt again, in, in Deuteronomy later, it talked about God making the promise, one of you will put to flight a thousand, two of you, 10,000. Don't you love God's math? You'd think it would be one put to flight, a thousand, two, two thousand. That's not how God works. <laughs> one, a thousand, two, ten thousand. I love that too because God loves it when we work together. You know, there's times when we need to step out in faith and look around and nobody wants to step out with us. We need to step out in faith. And God, obviously, is the God plus me equals victory. He's the big part of the equation, He's all of it. But 
there's something special about when, when two step out or a small group steps out in faith and the, the, how God loves to multiply that. Now, there's a difference between faith and presumption. Sometimes people say, you know, faith is just going out and pick, thinking of the most impossible po- thing you could possibly think of and just go do it and expect God to just jump in and take care of it. <laughs> that's not faith, that's presumption. However, when we are in the Word and we are in prayer and God speaks to our hearts, we need to step out in faith. William Carey, the the great missionary from a while back said, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Don't be, don't, don't hold back based on, on, again, what we see and what we think, but as God guides and God leads, he will lead us into things. He loves to do this, to lead us into things that are so big that, 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 that when it comes about, he gets all the glory because we couldn't possibly do it on our own. And that's what Jonathan is doing here. We, we look at Saul and we say, God, he didn't give God any credit. Jonathan says, I give God all the credit. And God is good for whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get us across that, that finish line. He's not putting God in a box. He's saying, all right, Lord, you're going to take it from here. Great faith. And I love this. Verse 7. The, the great statement that, that Jonathan makes, the Lord is not restrained to save by many or few. Verse 7. His armor bearer said, do all that is in your heart. Turn yourself and here I am with you according to your desire. Basically says, it, it, the way this is originally written, I am as close to you as your heart is in this matter. Whatever, whatever it is you're saying, I'm with you. I, I am fully in on this. And I see in this an important truth, that faith, properly placed faith, is contagious. I experienced that myself when I was in South Sudan with those chaplains. My faith was encouraged just being in the room with those guys, because they have tremendous faith. Faith is contagious. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 10, I love this again, talking about, uh, about the, this, this corporate thing, getting together. The author of Hebrews says in verse 22 of chapter 10, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The the words that he uses there, us, our faith. Don't don't give up the assembling together. I am blessed to see all of you coming out on a Wednesday night. I'm going to assume that there's maybe more than one of us who has had a pretty rough week things that have been going on throughout the week and and you came here yes to hear the word of god but to gather together and to be encouraged to encourage one another and that's what the author of hebrews is telling us and if you'll notice if you go back afterwards and read this part in hebrews chapter 10 all of those words there our us hope are assembling together but it talks about faith hope and love 
When we gather together, we encourage one another in our faith. It's contagious. The hope that we have, it's contagious. The love that we share, it's contagious. You know why it's so important that we get together and do this, even in the middle of the week like we are? Because fear, hopelessness, and bitterness are also contagious. And when we're in the world all the time, that's what we're getting fed constantly. If you're watching the news, <laughs> if you're in the workplace, fear, hopelessness, it's everywhere. Those things are contagious too. That's why it's great to gather together and encourage one another. To press on, to fight the good fight. Shakala, shakala, quest. This, this faith, again, is contagious. God is just looking for this avenue of faith, people willing to step out. God has great work that he needs to get done. This, this isn't Jonathan's idea. This is God placing this idea in Jonathan's heart. These Philistines have no business in the promised land, and Dad's not doing anything about it. So, Jonathan, I want you to take a step. He steps out in faith. His armor bearer says, I'm with you, and is coming alongside. And we're going to see again that what, what takes place when two young men step out in faith. What happens when we respond in faith to things that God places on our heart? Amazing things. What happens if we don't respond? Can we thwart the plans of God? No. He will still get done the work he wants to do. He'll just use somebody else. And we miss out then. We miss out on the blessing. We miss out on the, the fact that God, the creator of the universe, sovereign, almighty God, would place his finger on you or on me and said, I have work I want to do and I want to use you to do it. And we can look through the eyes of our flesh and say, man, I can't. That's way too big for me. Nobody will ever go along with that, Lord. I, you know, come up with all of the excuses. And eventually, if we harden our hearts hard long enough for that, he'll say, okay, I've run out of time. This has got to get done. And he'll touch somebody else. Jonathan responded here. And I believe, and I've shared this, I've shared this with you, I believe God wants to do a great work in Surprise, Arizona. I do. I believe it. He's not done with this city. There are many, many, many unsaved people in this city. He wants to do a great work. And I believe he wants to use us. Why not us? Why not now? I mean, when it looks the darkest, after, with all of the stuff going on in the world, why not now? That's when God, like, it, it looks hopeless. That's when God loves to show up and show his power. But he's looking for people of faith that'll say, I'll step out, I'll do that. Crazy as it sounds, Lord, I'm in. Because <laughs> if, if it happens, if, 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 if you do this, you're going to get all the glory. Well, here's these two. <laughs> Jonathan said, verse 8, Behold, we will cross over to the men and reveal ourselves to them. That's quite a battle plan. We're, gonna, we're, we're not even going to sneak up on them. We're going to just walk right out. Here we are. I have one sword. If they say to us, wait until we come down to you, then we will stand in our place and not go and not go up to them. But if they say come up to us, then we will go up and the 
for the Lord has given them into our hands, and this shall be a sign for us. Now, again, I love that. Okay, so here's the plan. We're going to reveal ourselves. We're going to show where we are, exactly where we are. And if they come down to us, they get tired and worn out coming down to us, then we know God's given them into our hands because they're going to be worn out by the time we get there and we'll be able to polish them off. Nope. If they stay up there and get breakfast and, and wait for us and we climb up and get all tired and worn out, then we know God's given them to us. That's faith. <laughs> when both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines said, Behold, Hebrews are coming out of the holes. Again, just mocking them. Where they have hidden themselves. So the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan, his armor bearer, and said, Come up to us, and we will tell you something. We're gonna, we'll, we'll teach you a lesson. Come on up here. Jonathan, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Not putting out a second fleece, not saying, hey, all right, Lord, that, that was sign number one, you came through, nope. <laughs> no paralysis by analysis. We are getting after it. Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God, and they are just stepping out in faith. Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his feet and his armor bearer behind him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer put some to death after him. They get up there and they just start wiping them out. And the ones that Jonathan doesn't completely take care of, his armor bearer does as he's walking by. Two of them. Two men, totally outmanned, outgunned. The first slaughter with which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about a half a furrow in an acre of land. I love the details. God just laying it all out, giving it the whole thing. It, it, about, about half an acre, Jonathan and his armor bearer kill 20 men. Again, completely outgunned. None of their military strategy made any sense. So now all of the other Philistines are seeing what's going on, and they start to panic. Verse 15, there was a trembling in the camp. There's a trembling in the field and among all of the people. Even the garrison and the raiders trembled. And then God, just to let everybody know he's the one who's doing it, the earth quaked so that it became a great trembling. Just imagine, these guys are sitting there, the Philistines, thinking again that, that the God of the Israelites obviously is far inferior to their God. Probably had forgotten the whole Dagon issue when they brought the ark into the, the, the temple of Dagon because now they, they, they're seeing our gods have now taken back over. Because look, at, look how impotent the people are. I mean, the king, he's sitting up over there under a pomegranate tree. I mean, they, all the rest of them are hiding in holes. But now the faith of these two has the enemy shaking and quaking. And, and now, they, now God shakes the earth, and the tables have totally flipped. Verse 16, Saul's watchmen and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they were, they were here and there, basically beating down one another. All of a sudden, they look out, and here's this massive multitude, and they're melting away. They're running away. They're killing each other in the process as they're leaving. They look, they're, they're, they're seeing this unfold right before their eyes. Saul said to, the pro said to the people who were there with him, Number now and see who has gone from us. And when they numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God was at that time with the sons of Israel. While Saul talked to the priest, the commotion in the camp 
of the Philistines continued and increased. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. So he says, all right, go get the ark. We got we to gotta do our ritual thing here before we go on out. Again, trying to appease God, and we're going to see he does it again later, trying to do it with all these outward things, heart totally in the wrong place, as we see here. Because now all of a sudden, the Philistines are dying even faster and running away even faster. Saul's saying, I'm going to miss my chance to get any credit for this. Cancel that order. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and came to the battle. Ba they're bandwagoning here. <laughs> the, two, the two are winning, so we'll jump on. We'll jump on board. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great confusion. So Saul and his, the 600 men, they go running out. The Philistines continue to kill each other, no doubt, as the, the, now the 600 men can arm themselves because there's dead Philistines everywhere with their swords and everything. Now the Hebrews, who were with the Philistines previously, who went up with them all around the camps, even they turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So some were either captured or voluntarily went with the Philistines because they were panicking a little bit and maybe submitted to them as slaves or however, or the raiding armies maybe took them in as slaves. But here, they all of a sudden get enough uh, strength and gumption and faith to now jump on board with what's going on with the Israelites. And verse 22, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines had fled, even they also pursued them closely in the battle. So now all the ones that are hiding in the caves and in the holes, they're coming out. Kind of amazing <laughs> how two, these two young men step out in faith when many probably, and again, I just see that the, the young people, just the young people in the church here, God lays something on your heart. Don't let anybody tell you you're too young or you don't have what it takes. You follow God's leading. All of those who are the naysayers, all of those who are the ones that are being so critical now, trust me, when God starts doing miraculous things through you, they'll be jumping on board. They'll be saying, way to go. We were with you all the time, you know, and, and just, you know, you just keep plugging away. But also learn something from Jonathan because note, verse 23, so the Lord delivered Israel that day. The battle spread beyond Beth Haven. Jonathan never once will mention the fact that the rest of them were hiding, that Saul had no faith. He never once mentions it. It's almost like, all right, come on. Come on, yeah, the battle is the Lord's anyway, so come on, <laughs> let's go. Welcome to the party. Well, the, this, this victory is, is, you know, again, they're, they're moving out now, and the, the Philistines are running and fleeing and killing each other, but now all of the, the Israelite army now has become amassed again, and they are coming after after them, verse 24, now the men of Israel were hard pressed on that day for Saul had put the people under an oath saying, cursed be the man who eats food before evening until I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. Foolish, foolish vow. Putting his people under this, this oath that they cannot eat any food all day. We're going to go and we're going we're gonna to avenge me, Saul. I mean, this, it, it, we can see the pride in this man. And remember, we wonder what happened to the humility of the man just a couple of years ago. Now, the pride in him, that this is all about him. But he realizes that we're going to need God's help in this thing. So let's fast and impress him with our spirituality. So nobody eat. And cursed be any man who does eat anything. 
So all of the people, verse 25 of the land, entered the forest, and there was honey on the ground. When the people entered the forest, behold, there was a flow of honey, but no man put his hand to his mouth, for they feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father put the people under the oath. Therefore, he put the end of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes were lightened. So Saul says this, again, ridiculous oath. Everybody's scared of it. Jonathan doesn't hear it. So when he sees the honey, he's like, man, I am hungry. I am worn out, exhausted. So he reaches down, dips his staff in there, just, just a mouthful of honey, and it says that it just rejuvenates him. Get some carbs. But Jonathan had not heard when his father had put him under the oath. His eyes were brightened. Verse 28. Then one of the people said, your father strictly put the people under an oath. Cursed be the man who eats food today. And the people were weary. Then Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more if only the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of the enemies which they had found for the slaughter among the Philistines has not been great. It could have been much more. And Jonathan is pointing out this truth that legalism makes people weary and it, and it br breaks them down. This legalistic thing that we're going to try to impress God by following these particular things. And it made them weary and it wore them out. And Jonathan said, how foolish is that? says in verse 33 they struck the philistines that day from micmash to ohijon and the people were very weary that's what happens legalism and trying to impress god it with with following rules and all of these things somehow trying to to earn god's favor jesus said come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you the yoke of grace. You can't earn it. It's a gift. Weary. It says in verse 32, the people rushed greedily upon the spoil. So evening now has come, so the ban is lifted. The people rushed greedily upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Then they said to Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, you have acted treacherously. <laughs> Roll a great stone to me today. So what, what was happening now, they're starving. I mean, they're, they're worn out from working so hard in this battle all day. They haven't eaten. They've, they've spent all of these calories and they haven't put anything into their body. So now the ban is lifted. So instead of doing what is proper, where they, as it's laid out in the, in the law, when they, when they are to slaughter an animal, they are to bleed it thoroughly before they cook the meat. They hang it up or get it on a slope to where the blood goes out of the carcass before they take the meat and cook it. Doesn't mean they were eating the raw meat as, you know, with blood and all of that. What they're it's saying is they, were, they just killed it, cut off a hunk of meat, barbecue. And they're, they, they don't, don't do that. And you know what the funny thing is about legalism? Is you can convince yourself, because I did that okay, this other part that God said, I can push that off to the side. I saw that and it illustrated all the time when I was in college. We had some, some people, some friends of mine, really close friends of mine in college that, that during, during Lent, I didn't grow up Catholic. They were from a Catholic family. 
And on Fridays, they couldn't eat meat. They could only eat fish, but they couldn't eat meat. And it would, they were so strict on that to where they would just make sure that no meat on Friday because that's what their mom told them. That's, what, that, that's the rule that, that the church says, no meat on Friday. Didn't have any problem getting totally drunk Friday night. Or God, the Bible says don't get drunk with wine. Didn't have any problem with that. As long as they were following this legalistic rule that they didn't eat meat on Friday. And that's what happens. They get so caught up in this other thing. And now as they've moved on through, their, God, God said to not, not to do that. There was a reason, reasons for that. We covered that in, in the law when it was then. But so now Saul says, and again, look at the hypocrisy. You have acted treacherously. Very poor leader continually does those things. We just see that in his heart here. But roll a stone to me today so we can put the carcasses on there, properly bleed them out. Saul said, dispense yourselves among the people and say to them, each one of you bring his or her ox or sheep and, and slaughter it here and eat it. Do not sin against the Lord by eating it with the blood. So all the people that night brought each one his ox and slaughtered it there. Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Then Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and take spoil among them until the morning light. And let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. So the priest said, let us draw near to God here. So the battle plan, they're laying it out for tomorrow morning. Priest said, let's, let's, let's go before the Lord. Let's, let's seek the Lord. Saul agrees. Saul inquired of God. Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. God did not respond as they are now praying to God for, for direction. Saul said, draw near here, all the chiefs of the people, and investigate and see how this sin has happened today. Somebody must have sinned. Somebody must have done something wrong. Somebody must have gone against the oath. Let's find out who it is. For the Lord lives who delivers Israel. Though it is Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. But not one of all the people answered him. Nobody was going to rat Jonathan out. Then he said to all Israel, You shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan and my son will be on the other. And the people said to Saul, Do whatever seems good to you. Therefore, Saul said to the Lord, the God of Israel, Give a perfect lot. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, and the people escaped. Probably the Urim and Thummim, the things that the priests used to determine, you know, they would ask God, a, you know, like a yes or no question and draw out a stone, black or white. That's probably how it worked. That's probably what is going on here is that it's the lot then, it says, fell to them. Saul said, cast lots between me and Jonathan, my son, and Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. So Jonathan told him and said, I indeed tasted a little honey with the end of my staff that was in my hand, here I am. I must die. Now, one commentator I, I read today, getting a little insight on, on this, because it's, it's a little confusing as to, if you read it in different translations, the exact wording that Jonathan used there. And one drew a very good point. I don't know if that's what exactly what he meant here, but speaking of a conflict, if we are in conflict with, with one another, it's certainly biblical that the best way to deal with that is even though you're right, die to your right. As, as put somebody else's needs above your own. You take that, that road that says, all right, I'm gonna trust, I'm gonna trust God. 
Though being reviled, he did not revile in return, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. That's how we are to, to respond. We don't have to always be right. <laughs> Even if we're right, sometimes laying down our rights is the right thing to do. But I think as I, as I read this, it's almost like Jonathan is pleading with his dad to say, think for a second. Just, just, just slow down. All I did was taste some honey. I mean, he doesn't point out the fact that the vow was ridiculous, but he's, he's, he's saying it's not like I went out and, you know, had a, had a couple of cheeseburgers or anything. I just, I just tasted some honey. And, and, and almost pleading with him to say, Dad, would you just admit that it was a silly thing to say? Even ask forgiveness and we can move on from here? Maybe pleading to any part of his dad's heart that still might be soft. But we see his response. Saul said, may God do this to me and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. He would rather have his son killed than for him to admit he was wrong. But the people said to Saul, must Jonathan die who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? Don't forget, Saul king 24 hours ago he was acting like a king while you were sitting under a tree far from it as the lord lives not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground for he has worked with god this day so the people rescued jonathan and he did not die again this king that they were asking for this king that they were lauding just a couple chapters ago now they're standing against in this and saved jonathan's life in the process. Verse 46, then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines and the Philistines went to their own place. So this massive gathering of the Philistines now dispersed back out. We don't know the, the final number of the, the death toll there, but it certainly devastated the Philistines. Verse 47, through the end of the chapter here, we get a little family tree here. Now when Saul had taken the kingdom over in Israel, he fought against all of his en enemies on every side, against Moab, the sons of Ammon, Edom, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. And wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment. So he was a very effective military leader. He acted valiantly and defeated the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hand of those who plundered them. Now, verse 49, the sons of Saul were Jonathan and Ishvi and Malachishua. Now, we, there are two other sons of Saul that are, we, we get their names later on, and then he had two other sons from a concubine that aren't listed in this particular list here. Names of his two daughters, the name of the firstborn, Merib, and the name of the, set of the younger, Michael. We're going to meet Michael a little bit later. She becomes the wife of David. The name of Saul's wife, was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaz, and the name of the captain of his army was Abner, the son of Ner. That <laughs> Saul's uncle. Abner, the son of Ner. Literally, his name, Abner, means son of Ner. Abba, meaning father, Ner. Abner, son of Ner. If your name, if your name is Ner, you're going to name your son that's, that's my son. Anyway, I'm not sure why I'm telling you that. Now, 
Now the war against the Philistines was severe all the days of Saul, and when Saul saw any mighty man or any valiant man, he attached him to his staff. Basically, he would see a valiant man, a warrior, and he would bring him on into, to fight with him. That's all we have time for tonight. Chapter 15, really got to look at that. I don't even want to get started in that. So let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you again for your word. And each time as we open your word and even look in, into what we call the Old Testament, these stories that you've preserved for us, they are far more than just stories. Lord, so rich in your truth. What, what a great example Jonathan is. Lord, I pray that we all would have the faith of Jonathan. Who, we don't look at our circumstances, the situations around us. We look at you. Lord, I pray that you would raise up more, Jonathan. Lord, I pray for all of the young people in the room tonight. Lord, that you would even visit them very personally tonight, this week. Speak to them, Lord. Give them vision. Give them faith. Use them, Lord, to reach their generation and, Lord, to impact ours. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in all of us, a work of faith. Lord, maybe speaking to us about certain things individually or that you would, that you would open up our eyes to those who are stepping out in faith and we could come alongside them. Lord, we believe that you have great work that you want to do. We believe that you are not done until we hear that <laughs> that trumpet blast, Lord, and we are called up to you to meet you in the air. Lord, we believe that you have work that you want to continue doing in and through us. So use us, Lord. We believe, but help our unbelief. Strengthen our faith. Give us vision. Give us direction. Lord, we can't wait to see what it is that you're going to do. Go before us this week, Lord. Fill us with uh, encouragement, faith, hope, love. I pray that we get filled up this right here tonight in that so that we can go out and impact, impact our communities, impact those we come in contact with that have, have no faith, have no hope, are filled with bitterness. Lord, that they would see us and be curious and tell them about you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.